You may know this, but we're in the middle of a series called Hot Topics. So today, um, we're going to evaluate another controversial topic. We're going to talk about politics, right? Why not? It's Freedom Weekend, July 4th, just two days away. Politics, if you want to make somebody mad, talk about politics or religion, right? So, so let's talk about politics. By the way, I never talk about religion. I hate religion, but I love Jesus, and I love to talk about the relationship that I have with Jesus. So you got to be careful. You got to be careful to tread that ice and make sure people understand the difference. When Megan and I were voted in as the lead pastors of this church at 32 years old with three children under the age of six, um, there, I've had some people come, you know, I was kind of scared to vote for you at 32. I mean, you were just so young. And I was like, you were scared. I was scared. I was scared for you to vote for me. The board came back in there. They're like, well, they nominated you. I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> it's like, I mean, hey, hey, praise God. Let's go. I didn't do it because I wanted to. I did it because God told me to. And there's a difference. You don't, you don't have to be equipped. You have to be obedient. Okay, so here we are. July 28th, we're voted in, 93 people, well, minus six, and I don't know if they're still here or not, but hey, here we are, um, seven years later, at the end of this month, and two weeks after we were voted in, two weeks, we moved here. Gabriel, um, he still had accidents on himself, uh, he, he, he still had a bink, he, he wasn't really able to communicate. Adeline, it took her about 19 months to say anything to anybody. Um, and then Emery, you know, Emery and Gabriel, they're really outgoing. You just couldn't understand what they were saying. And uh, so not only did I have to learn how to be a lead pastor, but I had to learn how to, like, communicate with you. Um, which you guys use phrases and terminology. Like, everybody kept coming up to, to Gabriel and Emery, and they were like, oh, He's shy. Oh, shy. I was like, she's not, he's not shy. He's not. He, like, he just walked up to Aaron Olivier. He never met the guy before. He had a, a can, a, like a cup of, of spitty goldfish. He said, I done, and turned around and walked off. My man's not shy. I didn't understand why everybody kept telling me to save stuff. Hey, save that. I was like, like for later? Or is it lost and dying in its sins? What do you mean? Why am I saving it? But I didn't, I didn't catch on, okay? I had a lot to learn. Um, August of 2016, interestingly enough, I had never considered this as a youth pastor, but all of a sudden, it was in my face, and everybody wanted to know, what are we going to do about the election? I was like, I, I plan on going to vote. I didn't know, I didn't even know what that meant, because I had never thought about it from a staff pastor perspective, but as a lead pastor, I realized that there is a contention that comes with leading a group of people in an election year. And 2016 was one of the most vindictive and violently, verbally violent years that we had seen in presidential elections until 2020. And if you think that it can't get any worse, you just wait until 2024. So I had to decide quickly, like I had to prayerfully consider, what are we going to say? What are we not going to say? And when we have something to say, how are we going to say it? 
So today I want to talk about political truth. See, I decided in 2016, here's the decision that I made. I decided that I was not going to water down the gospel by politicizing this pulpit. I made a decision. I know, and all four people clapped for that, and everybody else is like, whoa, hang on. What does that even mean? I decided that I wasn't going to succumb to the jargon that changes every four years, dependent upon how the mainstream media wanted me to feel about what was going on. Have you noticed that everybody was offended in 2020, and now everything's gone silent? Can I tell you what's going to happen in January? I'm not a prophet. I'm just not stupid. What's going to happen in January is they're going to re-stir the pot. The mainstream media is going to become a bunch of spoons again that try to separate you by ideology and idiosyncrasies that are actually subject to change dependent upon who the majority votes for. And I'm not having it this year. That's not why God put me here. However... As you have probably noticed, I don't shy away from the real issues. I talk about life and the sanctity of marriage. I talk about male and female, two genders. I'm not afraid to address biblical standards from a biblical perspective. And it's interesting to me that like, no matter what I do, I get accused of not doing something that somebody wants me to do. Because there's two ends of the spectrum, right? On one end of the spectrum, I'm considered spineless because I'm not willing to rally the political troops and put AFA voter guides on everybody's windows while they're in here worshiping Jesus. <laughs> I know it's uncomfortable for me too. And then on the on the same hand, I'm considered super spiritual and politicizing God's word because I am willing to address being pro adoption and not just against abortion. I'm for the sanctity of marriage between one male and one female. And so I'm considered outdated and bringing politics in the church if I'm willing to address the issues. And so what I found is I can't win with people and I don't answer to people. So I'm just going to win with Jesus and do what he tells me to do. And everybody else can listen here and allow the Lord to move in them as he has begun to move in me. So with the challenges of everybody's opinion and everybody's perspective, I decided that I would focus my efforts on God's word and God's kingdom. Because I can't make everybody happy. And anyone who decides not to represent God's word and God's kingdom, whether it's being more passionate about political preference than you are the gospel, or whether it's not believing in the Bibles and upholding the standards thereof, those people simply won't represent this house. And I will explain them away. Now, I'm reading a version devotional right now on uh, my Ngeogram number, which is an eight, uh, which I'm told according to the test, it's like a personality test. If you've never done it, it's kind of fun. Um, I'm told that I'm a challenger, not like a dodge, but like, <laughs> and my wife, my wife actually says, no, you're not a challenger, you're combative. And I'm like, no, I'm not. 
Nah. Not gonna get me, you little passive aggressive pretty thing. <laughs> we go together somehow and God makes it work. So when it comes to politics and when it comes to policies, I get frustrated. Like I, I'm frustrated right now. I'm frustrated that there is a bill sitting on our governor's desk that he is vetoing that would protect our public school children from being taught illegitimate agendas by non-professionals that don't understand biology. It's annoying. And I can't even say it without being political. But I'm not being political, I'm actually just being biblical. So I talked to Gene Mills this past Thursday. I signed a petition with a bunch of other pastors. So I'm involved in the process. And if I have to, I'll go stand on the steps to protect the children against an agenda. But come on, I said it a couple of weeks ago. I can stand against agendas without attacking people. But most people can't designate the difference between the two. So when it comes to policies and politics, I have to be really careful, especially if I'm just scrolling on social media. Why? Because here's what I found for me. When I'm not careful, I become careless. And if I become careless about somebody's soul because they don't agree with my political point of view, then I will watch them be cast into the lake of fire instead of receiving the reward of leading him into his presence. I don't want to be so passionate about politics that I sever my opportunity to share the gospel. I cannot be more passionate about a political point of view than I am a person that doesn't share my point of view. And I want to make sure that you get this. That's why I'm six months ahead of schedule, and I think that God ordained this moment. Because I want to let... The gospel do what only the gospel can do, whether somebody agrees with my political perspective or not. And you guys are still trying to decide whether you agree with it, and that's okay, because I still got about 30 minutes to convince you. <laughs> Ephesians chapter four. Let me read what the apostle Paul said in verse one. Therefore, New Living Translation, therefore I, and I inserted this word because it's true of what was taking place in the Apostle Paul's life. He says, a prisoner for serving the Lord. He's really a political prisoner. Paul is in prison because of politics. Because the people of God, the people who were supposed to represent God in that day, had aligned themselves more with the Roman government than they did the Messiah. And so because the people who were supposed to represent God were more interested in their rights as citizens than their responsibilities as children, oh, I can't get no help, so I got to keep going. Paul was suffering as a political prisoner of which he would not even be if he existed in any other time. So he says this as a political prisoner serving the Lord, I beg you. I'm begging you. They've missed it. 
but I'm begging you to lead a life worthy of your calling because you have been called by God. If he saved you, if he set you free, if he's revealed the truth to you, then you have an anointing of God's calling upon your life and it is not so that you can get your way or have your rights. It's so that you can lead a life that looks like what you say you believe. I gotta keep going. Verse two, always be humble. I believe this is especially important when I get angry. When I come across a certain post or a certain person or I watch a specific YouTube video Listen, I'm grateful for the people fighting on those fronts. But God has called me to be a citizen of heaven and to be humble and, and gentle. Being patient with each other. Listen, here, listen, here's what's gonna happen. I'm telling you right now because I'm a challenger, also known as combative and aggressive. In 2024, you can either be patient with one another or I will help you be patient with one another. And I mean that in the most shepherdly way. Because I'm not going to allow demons of division to raise their head in this body of believers just because we don't know how to disagree without being dishonorable. Dishonor does not bring honor to more dishonor. Be patient with one another. Making allowance for each other's fault. You know the person that I have the best relationship with is the person that I get to make the most allowance for things that I don't necessarily agree with. And the person that loves me more than anybody in this room outside of Jesus is the person in this room that has to make more allowance for this person's fault. But that's authentic relationship. Because of your love. Here, please do not let Hollywood define love for you. Let the word of God define love for you. Love is not a feeling. Love is not an emotion. I preach it at almost every single wedding ceremony, and I talk about it as often as possible. The Bible shows that love is an application of action. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not easily anger. Some of y'all ain't loving right now. You mad right now. I already got you out of your love because you didn't have enough to give to begin with. Come on. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Come on. Love does not write people off. Love never gives up. That's love according to the word of God. Make every effort, verse 3, make every effort to what? To convince people to vote like you. Nope. To keep yourselves united in the spirit. Binding yourselves together with politics. Nope. Peace. That can only come from the prince thereof. 
Verse four, for there is one body and one spirit. Just as you have been called, you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. All right, so I want you to hear my heart for the next 20 minutes, God help me. I'm not here to intentionally offend you today, but I am here to address the issues and state where and how we will stand as a church in 2024. And if I'm wrong, then I have to answer for it. Number one, political truth, number one. Your political party does not make you more saved than someone else. We're just gonna leave that one there for just a minute. I'm going to refrain today from intentionally aggravating the politically arrogant. I'm also going to refrain today from becoming belligerent towards people who don't believe like me. And I'm telling you, your political party does not make you more saved than somebody else. Have you noticed, and I think we need to be on the lookout for this, there are some people who use faith to get votes. There are some people who appeal to evangelicals just in order to arrive in a certain place. And there are some people, come on, notice the difference. There are some people who God raises up to a certain position and they use the position to share their faith. And we need to recognize the difference between those two types of people. See, your personal character speaks louder than your political party. That's why I'm saying that your political party does not make you more saved than somebody else because your personal character has a louder voice than whether you're Republican or Democrat. And I told you a couple weeks ago, when you stand before God, he's not going to ask, are you gay? Are you straight? Are you aggressive? Are you passive? Are you a politician? Are you a preacher? He's not going to ask, are you Republican? Are you Democrat? He's going to ask, are you covered in the blood? And if you're covered in the blood, are you living a life that is worthy of the calling because I called you? So your personal character actually says more about your relationship with Jesus than your political party does. Now hear me, I believe we'll give an account of how we align ourselves, and I'll get back to that in a second. But I wanna give you a standard for 2024. This is my standard. You can uphold it or you can just be offended by it, it doesn't matter. This is what I do, because I told you, I'm an eight. When I see something ignorant, I feel like I gotta say something. Y'all hear me go North Louisiana? Ignorant means ignorant. It means that they just, they too stupid to know. That's, that's, that's really all that means. It's a nice way of calling somebody dumb. <laughs> but when I see something, I feel like I have to say something. <laughs> see something, say something. No, 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 hang on. Because you gotta be careful how you say and what you say. So here's my standard. Unless I have personally led somebody to Jesus that week, I do not get to post and or comment on social media about politics. You need to take that standard because I am so sick. Oh, hear my sweet little heart today. I am so tired 
of seeing people become obsessively passionate about politics during midterm elections and presidential elections, and they're supposed to be born again, baptizing the Spirit, and they ain't led nobody to Jesus on their own in the last decade, and they are completely okay with having no influence on the kingdom of God, but they want me to make a difference in Louisiana. No, wake up, friend. You've been called to more. So unless, here's my standard, unless I personally led somebody to Jesus that week, I don't get to post, I don't get to comment. Here's the problem, because even if I did lead somebody to Jesus that week, they're probably not sanctified enough yet to see the way that I see. I can't get no help, so I'm gonna keep going. So I need to be careful with what I say and how I post. And instead of being a keyboard gangster, I gotta go to this side because it's not being received over there. Instead of hiding behind the screen and saying whatever I want to, however I want to, I gotta take a step back, take a breath, and remember that it is my job to get them to Jesus and it's his job to sanctify them. So my political party, does not make me more saved. Here's my point. I don't want to be more passionate about my rights as an American than I am my responsibilities as a child of God. And I see people get really frustrated about their rights as Americans, but they have not upheld not one responsibility as a child of God in recent history. So if I'm not careful... Now, some of our younger people don't like it when I say it this way because I'm, I'm too old for this now. But if I'm not careful, I can get in my feels. That means that I become emotional. Kara specifically told me a couple of weeks ago, Pastor, please don't ever say that again. I said, oh, it will be echoed repeatedly now that I know that it irritates you. If I'm not careful, I can become emotional. But ultimately, I want the 19-year-old Democrat to be able to sit in the same worship center as the 50-year-old Republican and the 85-year-old Southern Democrat. If I'm not careful, I can get frustrated about somebody's political party, but I'm not supposed to care whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or you're a part of the Green Party or the Tea Party or the Green Tea Party or you're a Libertarian or you're a Socialist or you're an outspoken Communist. I'm supposed to care whether you know Jesus or not. And if you know Jesus, then I'm supposed to help you and equip you as the pastor and leader to actually do something with the salvation that you say that you have and to live a life worthy of your calling because you are called by God in 2024 just as much as you were when you weren't mad in 2021. I've got to keep going. I have to check myself in regards to politics because I can't care more about politics than I do people. Number two, political truth, number two. Your vote, your voice, and your attitude. Oh, I wish he'd have just said the first two. Me too, but the Holy Ghost told me to put the third one in there. Your vote, your voice, and your attitude should align with God's word. Hear me, the kingdom of heaven is violent, and the violent take it by force. I will never perform a same-sex union as an ordained assembly of God minister and or child of God. If I get sued, if I get arrested, 
I don't want to get arrested. I like my family. I want to go home with my family. I might lose our tax exemption status, but I will trust in the Lord, lean not in my own understanding, acknowledge him in all my ways, and he'll make my path straight no matter how crooked the world becomes. So your vote matters. And your voice matters. I'll go stand on the steps if I have to. It's not political. It's biblical. I know people who fought so hard against abortion that it ultimately made a difference. I'm just saying we shouldn't fight about what we're not for any more than we fight for what we are for. So if you're against abortion, you need to be for adoption. And if you're for something, then it should be evident somewhere in your life. But your vote and your voice matter. You cannot stand by silently and idly or you will become like Adam who watched the woman eat something that he should have gotten out of the garden. We'll give an account for both. Well, what is he saying? I'm saying both, but I don't get to vote a certain way and speak a certain way and be a jerk to people who don't vote a certain way. Or don't speak a certain way. Here's watch. Philippians chapter 1. Let's let Paul say it. New Living Translation, he says, above all. Everybody say, above all. I just did that, so I needed some water. You must live. You must live as citizens. Let me just let that simmer for a second. Because I don't want you to miss it. God didn't create you to be American. He didn't create you to be Louisianian. He didn't create you to be Acadian. Have I hit you yet? <laughs> he didn't create me to be a Mendonite or a Minionite. <laughs> he created me to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And my actions, my attitudes, my speech, and the votes that I cast should be a reflection of his kingdom, not my frustrations. I'm called to be a citizen of heaven, conducting myself in a manner that is worthy of the good news about Jesus. So no matter what you read on the daily news or see in the daily news, the good news should have more impact on you than the daily news has on you. But the truth is, you're more impacted by your news feed then you are the fact that you know who you are in Christ. So whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose. And I don't want anybody to leave this church in 2024, but I can't promise you that if you don't stand in unity in the body of Christ, specifically this body of Christ, that if you don't stand together and fight and strive for the unity of the one spirit that we all serve, I might ask you kindly and compassionately to go stand somewhere else. I don't want to, but if I have to choose 
between division and your frustration, then you're just going to get frustrated. Because we should be fighting together, not about politics and policies and people thereof, but we should be fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. So here's the sub point to the second political truth. How you treat others reveals more about your salvation than how you vote. Now listen, we'll give an account for both. That's why I said vote, voice, and attitude. I'll give an account. If I vote for people who pass legislation that allows babies to be pulled out of a mother's womb alive and killed on the table because she doesn't want the child, or she conceived the child in a way that was not appropriate and or biblical, then I will give an account. Hear me, I will give an account for the vote that I cast. Just like if I vote for a person that I fear may start World War III. I didn't get no help on that one. Everybody, there was no amen. I will give an account. I will give an account for whom I put my name behind. And the truth of the matter is, how I treat other people reveals more about my relationship with Jesus than how I vote. I can stand against agendas. I can preach biblical truth without attacking individuals. Now, as I said, some individuals are going to accuse me of being scared to bring up politics. And some people are going to accuse me of being super spiritual and bringing up political issues too often. And over the years, I've just become more interested in pleasing Jesus than pleasing men and women because I ultimately do not answer to men and women but I will give an account to my king so over this time I had to decide what is the most important thing to me what am I going to keep the main thing what I've decided was I want to spend my time my effort my emotion my my phone screen time come on somebody and, and my social media time I want to spend that time connecting people to Jesus not just convincing them to vote like I do I want to spend my effort and my energy connecting people to Jesus. And if I can connect them to Jesus, then he can convince them to cast their vote properly. Then he can convince them to speak properly. Then he can convince them to behave properly. Here's what I'm saying. If I can help them believe, then he will help them behave. Come on, somebody. But it's not my responsibility to make the world behave like they believe in the Bible. It is my responsibility and I take it heartily to help the people who say they believe in the Bible to behave like they believe in the Bible. And both of those irritate me. And both of those frustrate me. So I have to be careful lest I become careless. I gotta be more interested in my responsibilities as a child of God than I am my rights as an American. And here's what I've found to be most true just over the last decade. Most people that sit in congregations as churches across this country on a Sunday morning are more interested in being American than they are in being Christian. 
We have an American worldview. And we need a biblical worldview. We have a political worldview and we put our faith and our hope in politics and policies and politicians. And we're supposed to have a kingdom worldview where we put our hope in Christ and Christ alone. Why? Because political truth number three. Ooh, I'm doing good. On time, not the message, on time. <laughs> Political truth number three, American government is temporary. I've read the end of the book. I don't see a lot about America there. I've read Ezekiel. I don't see a lot about America there. I've read the prophecies. I've listened to some of the prophets. And then I've listened to some of the people that think they're prophets. And I have noticed that God is not interested in what's going on governmentally outside of the fact that he put those people in authority and he will hold the authorities to his accountability. But American government is temporary. God's government is eternal. I'm going to hang out here for just a second because everybody doesn't know. I spent four years, no, five years. See, some people go to college for four years. I went for five. I'm an overachiever. I, for five years, I studied political science. It's my undergraduate major, a minor in pre-law for the first two years and political science ultimately as an undergrad. My thesis to graduate with a bachelor's degree in liberal arts with a focus on political science was an evaluation of Christianity's foundation in the United States of America. I got a 30-page paper. If you are bored to death, I will email it to you. You're welcome. As a graduate thesis, because I already had all of this work done and 30 some odd books that I had scoured through and typed text into, as a graduate thesis, I decided to take that undergrad thesis, add theology, and evaluate God's rights in the United States of America. Because we're interested in our rights and I'm interested in his rights. So I took an evaluation of all of those texts and measured the intent versus the application. And what I found was God's not coming back to establish a democracy where the people's majority makes the decision. I can't, I'm not going to. God's not coming back so that we can decide who we want, what we want, when we want it. That's American. It's not biblical. So I ask the question, is democracy God's will for America or is democracy the enemy's window for America? See, because the same people that said they believed in the Bible were doing all kinds of unbiblical things. And somebody texted me this morning. He said one out of 99 people will read the Bible and the other 99 will read you. Quote D.L. Moody. American government is temporary. Politicians are like pastors. 
They overpromise and underdeliver. They intend one thing but apply another thing. And I came to remind the church this morning that our hope is not found in how people vote. Our hope is not found in what governors veto or what senators override. Our hope is not found in what policies passed. Our hope is not found in what person is sitting in a White House. Our hope is not found in what American hero is riding the wave of the majority for that year. Our hope is an anchor that we have for our soul that leads us into the inner sanctuary. Our hope is, has always been He gets us into places that we don't belong. He gives us platforms that we never asked for. And he raises us up in the last days to look like the light in a dark generation. Our salvation is found in who is seated on the throne. And he does not shift like shadows. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 7, the Bible says of the increase of his government. His kingdom has come. It's not just coming. His kingdom has come. Of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, his eternal kingdom, he will establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. I trust God's justice no matter who gets elected. And if you get more upset about who gets elected than who you've led into election. Oh, come on. I I think that there's something wrong with your heart. And God wants to deal with it this year. The Lord will perform these things. The angel Gabriel came to Mary in Luke chapter 1. And he told her, verse 32, he will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, verse 33, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. His kingdom will never end. When your hope is in Jesus, you don't care as much who's in a house. John said it this way, and I'm going to pray over you because now I'm in negative 12. That's what happens when I look up and see I got time. Seconds, not minutes. Verse 6, John says, he has made us a kingdom of priests. He has made us, us, you, me, a kingdom of priests. Not to be distracted by the divisive. Not to let our emotions ebb and flow with mainstream media's ploys. Not to allow who gets elected, who doesn't get elected to determine how we feel about our future. But he has made us a kingdom of priests. We are his representation here on this earth. Every two years, every four 
years and every day in between. All glory and power be to him forever. And Jesus declared, I am the Alpha, verse 8. I am the Omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. I am the one who is and the one who was and the one who is still to come. I am the almighty one. Oh, hang on, hang on, catch this. When the Pharisees, I didn't have time in first service, I'm going to give it to you now. Because he's not done with me yet. In the first, when the Pharisees came to him and he began to question him about the disciples paying taxes, Jesus said, whose face is on that coin? And they said, Caesar's. And Jesus said, then render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God. See, the problem, the reason we have such a problem with Caesar is because we're not written. We're not willing to render unto God what is God's first. Because when you render unto God, you don't give a rip about Caesar. You're not worried about whose face is on the dollar. You're not worried about whose face is on the drachma. You're not worried about the price of the American dollar. Because you know who was on the cross and who was put in the grave. But you know that if he won 2,000 years ago, then he's going to win 2,000 years later. I saw him I fell at his feet as if I were dead dead people can't be divisive (laughs) but resurrected people can bring life in the midst of death in the midst of darkness I fell at his feet as though I were dead. And he laid his right hand on me, his strong, mighty, eternal right hand. And he said, do not be afraid, for I am the first, I am the last, I am the living one. But I died, even though I died for a moment, I didn't stay dead. And neither will you, as long as you're in me. I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the key. And then I remembered, I didn't even put it in your notes. I remembered that Jesus looked at his followers in the midst of Roman oppression. I remembered that Jesus told his disciples, I give you 
the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. So I loosen the kingdom over Acadiana. And I loosen the kingdom over Louisiana. And I loosen the kingdom over this generation for such a time as this. And I loosen the kingdom of God over the United States of America. And I loosen the kingdom for a And if we were as passionate about prayer, and if we were as passionate about people as we are about policies, politics, and politicians, then Jesus would have already come. He holds the keys, and he gave the key to you and me. So take the key to the kingdom. Every time you crank your car, every time you open up your door, every time that you're holding it, you remember that you are a representation of the kingdom of heaven. And when people look at you, they're supposed to see Jesus. If you've not, with everybody standing and and, and somebody's going to come pray over you, and I'm going to go sit in front of a fan. If you've not given your life to Jesus, I'm telling you today is your day. If you sense anything in this place this morning and you're not confident of who you are in Christ, then this message was for you because he's more interested in your soul and your spirit than he is anything that you have done up to this point. But if you call yourself a child of God, then I charge you to live a life worthy of the calling because you are called. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you need to give your life to Jesus today, come on church, don't just stand there, pray. If you're in this place this morning and you don't know Jesus, Maybe you did at one time, but you've, for whatever reason, decided to drift or fall. And today you need to give your life back to Jesus. If you fit into either one of those categories, if that's you and you need to give your life to Jesus, if you need to get righteous with God today, I want you to lift your hand on the count of three. Come on, lift it. One, two, three. Lift your hand all over this place. That's me. That's me. That's me. I just want to be right with Jesus. I need to give my life to Jesus. Today is the day of my salvation. If that's you, one more time, lift your hand right now. That's you. I've been living in sin, but I want to be saved. 
I've been following my own desires and I want to follow Jesus. Just lift your hand right where you are. Come on, church, everybody else in here, would you open your hands right where you are? If you lifted your hand for salvation, just begin to ask God to forgive you, to cleanse you, to save you. Lord, I plead your blood over every person in this room, over every person watching online. God, I pray that you would cleanse us. God, save us. Lord, help us to put our faith in you and to follow you with all of our heart. May we confess you as Lord of every single area of our lives, not just the ones that we want you to be in charge of. But God, would you be in control? Lord, help us to put our hope in you, our emotion in you, and our passion in looking like citizens of your kingdom. God, use us. Use us to let your kingdom come. Use us to let your will be done. I pray these things in the mighty matchless name of Jesus and everybody said amen. Come on, if you believe that today, give God.